0: For tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, Ron McKefree is back. If you missed him the first time, tune in this week to hear him drop knowledge from his years of experience at the collegiate and professional level. For being named Collegiate Strength and Conditioning Coach of the Year twice, Ron's approach is relatively simple and highly effective. His advice ranges from the complexities of selecting the right coaches to hire to surviving as an intern surviving can eventually translate to thriving if you recognize your role at every stage of the game. Coach McKethree has recently become the Vice President of Performance and Education of Play. Not only that, he's kicking off a clinic series which he discusses in detail on today's show. His book CEO Strength Coach is an excellent stepping stone to surviving the SNC struggle and getting to know what it took to make coach Ron McKethree the success you see today. In his words, shut your mouth, open your ears, then ask a million questions, and you end up getting to a point where you might actually have an original thought. Well, it might make for a lengthy tattoo, but it certainly is a good life mantra. This is episode 194.
1: Our athlete nation, what is up? You've got Luke and John in Lakeway, Texas, sweating it up after some condo at Harry Shaw's Jim reporting live and uh, Tex, you are in H-Town
2: Houston, Clutch City. Yeah,
1: oh, yeah, I, I gotta, I gotta remember that Clutch City, Hill Country, and then uh, and we have Ron McKeefrey, it's uh, a repeat veteran, repeat guest. Ron is coming in, uh, CEO, what's, that, coach. what's going on, Ron? And we got a, in kind of a shift in career path since we've last talked, right? I, mean, I, know I have, yeah, connected, but you're working with play now, aren't you? I am,
3: I am. I'm the uh, I came on as their vice president of performance and education.
4: And for those of you guys who don't know, play is probably the premier maker of uh, flooring for gyms. And any you guys that ever been to super high-end gyms, like um, you know, the new Sornex Place or Gold's Gym or any you know, major collegiate strength conditioning program, the bitchin' floors that you know, don't have seams and look like they actually are carpet or even something nicer, those are usually play floors. So, no doubt. No. Well,
1: Tex, do you know offhand the episode number that was, Ron was last on?
2: One second. Keep stalling.
4: <laughs> Anyways,
1: <laughs> so I guess Ron. Well, here's what I want to do. Let's say people are new listeners; they don't know who you are. Maybe yes. give them the two-minute uh, abridged version, and then uh, we'll reference if, if they want to learn more about you, man. They should just go back and you know do the legwork. I think and yeah, check no out doubt. this episode.
3: No doubt. Uh, yeah, guys. I, you know, I've uh, been a strength coach for over 20 years. Uh, you know, worked in uh, multiple NFL programs, uh, high-level college athletics, and um, most recently, I was. Um, with the Eastern Michigan, with University, uh, Eastern Michigan University, when we last talked. And, you know, I was going on year three, uh, three, almost year four of being away from my family from when I was at, let like, go at Tennessee with the coaching staff. I went to Cincinnati Bengals, went to Eastern Michigan, and uh, ultimately I was, I was three and a half years away from my family. And, and so this opportunity with play presented itself to where I continued to, to be a coach. Uh, but i get the opportunity to, to uh, coach coaches and make a global impact and affect more than a 105 guys each day each each year and each day and um, so i thought that was just a great opportunity for growth for me and real excited about my, my current role
4: Sounds like you and A kind of found a similar deal with him working for Sornex and then you with Play and uh, kind of a symbiotic relationship. I mean, it's pretty interesting that you have these, uh, you know, major kind of uh, equipment providers getting into the education market and working with established training conditioning coaches that can go in and not only talk and me about a program, but also talk about equipment and bringing in the right type of, uh, of deal. Because, I mean, after going to Sornex, I realized that uh, the time and money and effort put in by Division One programs into terms of recruiting and how to you know and build these and you I mean you're seeing them firsthand but these uh, I was joking to call them the, the palace of Versailles you know they obviously you <laughs> know right. you know they they built the powers or the palace of Versailles this uh you know impressive thing for them to you know sell the you know the French culture and this is what we can do and we're this you know global right. and, um, you know in a sense that's kind of what these colleges are doing to really wow these you know, almost naive 18 year old kids that walk in and they're like, Oh my God, sure. You'll be a starter next year and this will be your weight room. And, and you know what, that shit's impressive. I mean, I, I go back to my own you know, personal experiences and, you know, going to, uh, you know, sitting with Boyd Epley because I took a trip to Nebraska. They offered me a scholarship and sitting with Boyd Epley up in his command center and, <laughs> room and literally being like, holy shit, this is amazing. I mean, if this wasn't in Lincoln, Nebraska, I would totally come here. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then, you know, and then seeing the you know the crappy gym that was Cal Berkeley's deal, and then seeing it now, and it's um, it's pretty impressive, I guess, to think about not not only the last twenty years, but to think that like schools are putting this much time and effort and money and just resources into building these facilities. It's just it's killer. I wish I was eighteen years old again. No doubt.
3: Well, I mean, there's a lot of things to dig in there. I mean, one being, I mean, just like Aaron, you know, as as being in this business for twenty. You know, twenty plus years, and there's a mortality in it. You know, in terms of how long you can coach and how long you can you can uh, put in a, a 13, 14 hour day and and be the husband and father that you want, want to be. And ultimately, for me, that's that's number one and number two is to be a best husband and be a best father, and then be a great coach. And um, you know, I was I wasn't able to look myself in the mirror with my kids all going into high school now and say that I'm being the best father and and husband I could be. And so that allowed me to, you know, to do this and content marketing, like you said, right now is, is, that's the best form of marketing. When people know, like, and trust you, they buy from you, you know, and I have zero sales responsibilities. I, I couldn't even tell you necessarily the differences in the products that we, that we have. Um, but you know, my, my role is really broken into kind of three categories. It's, it's one, it's being an ambassador for the, for the company and uh, speaking and writing and doing the things that I do. And and, and that was appealing to me because you know, from adopting kids internationally, from coaching in NFL Europe, from, um, you know, just being, you know, traveling the world, you know, speaking. I, I want to make, you know, I, I realized how big this this planet is, you know, and how how small it could be at the same time. And uh, I wanted to have a global impact on, on coaches and, and athletes. You know, so that was appealing to me. The second category is this education category, which I've, I've routinely spoken, you know, uh, throughout my entire career, mostly because it was forced to continue education for me, it was an opportunity for me to go out and learn. Uh, for, at, at the same time, as, as I was sharing p- things that I'd learned from others, and uh, you know, so taking on the play summits and and uh, you know, putting on those events and growing it from three, you know, just uh, that we had last year to eight events this year, uh, was big. And then there's the performance piece, and we're still trying to figure out what that is. Whether or not that's facilities and Consulting and and te- you know uh, combine prep and vet training and things like that, but that's that's where I'm headed in terms of working with some high level athletes in those arenas.
4: Nice, so almost kind of similar well, to what uh, like um I mean uh you know there's different people like I mean obviously like our uh, athletes' performance and Exos and uh you know I don't know who else is doing it I mean on and I know it's trying to do a little bit of stuff out here but really right. building those centers of excellence which I think. Uh, is, you know, I mean, really athletes performance did it in the beginning and, uh, you know, where they would, you know, create these you know centers of excellence and athletes would come in to train. I mean, I always thought that was a kind of a genius idea and the fact that, uh, you know, if you can bring in the right type of atmosphere and create the right deal and, you know, bring in the right people. And, uh, you know, I know when I trained out athletes performance, I kind of deviated a little bit from what they wanted to do. I mean, they were more, more you know, interested in working with a guy to teach him how to activate his core yeah. than actually get him to like bang some heavy fucking weights. And, uh, you <laughs> know, we're I'm like, dude, you guys have come, guys here come three, six weeks, and you know you're working on like you know activation and busu ball balancing instead of fucking putting a heavy bar. While you know he's not ready to train, I'm like, this dude's going back to play in the NFL. Right. I'm like, uh, you know, I'm like, dude, what confidence is bouncing on a busu ball opposed from getting underneath and banging weights? And and then we got into an argument. I remember about uh, the vert. Uh, what was it? The uh, the vertical jump where you attach the bands to the hips is the vertimax. Yeah, the vertimax. Yeah. That the vertimax was better than actually um, heavy like uh, you know. Uh, power cleans or uh, dynamic poles. I remember at that point, I was like, dude, uh, we're not <laughs> going to talk about this philosophy anymore. So, I mean, it's, uh, you know, and, and I, it's killer to see how far things have come, but man, if you guys right. do something, like that, I think that's a home run. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that's part
3: of the, the mission of, of what play is trying to do. I mean, play obviously has been a foreign company like you mentioned, but if, Brett, the owner is, has always viewed it as a performance brand, you know, and you know, so we have, you know, trying to create some different categories, play performance being one of those, which is what I'm running as a division. And, um, you know, and obviously for me, it's important that we blur blur those lines. And there's, like you you had said, I mean, with Mark and and some of the early kind of sports performance coaches, there was this clear division between strength coaches and performance coaches. And it was almost like this religious kind of fervor, you know, and, and, you know, with me coming on and and really trying to help blend those lines and and, and have some crossover, you know, where – you know, coaches that I develop, you know, which I've done for my whole career, having coaches I develop go back and forth between the two, uh, between these facilities, between the teams that I'm, that I'm working with and things along those lines. Hopefully we can do that and accomplish that mission.
4: Sounds good.
1: And you know, you know, what's nice about the position you're in, Ron, is like, and we were talking a little bit before the show about some of the guys out here in Austin is, uh, I think a, a popular or what's causing a lot of growth with a lot of companies is just authenticity, Right. So when a guy like you who's empowered to be an ambassador for the brand doesn't have to have a sales tactic or anything like that, um, it, it breeds an authentic message to to the guy who has the feet on the street, you know?
3: Right, right. No doubt. Well, I mean, you know, and obviously I wouldn't have took the job if I didn't believe in the product. I mean, it was, you know, when you when you dig into it, it's it's not even close. It's not even close to the other, the, the competitors, but at the same time, that makes it easy then because then you just go in and it's, it's whether or not you want to be a part of it or not. You know, if you want that product, it's great. But, you know, we get to go in. My role is basically simply to go in and talk shop and see where I can be a service as a as a resource, as a mentor, as a coach. And uh, ultimately, that's, again, that's what I got into this business to do is to create impact, not just in athletes, but in the people that I surround myself with.
1: And I guess, you know, just to bridge the gap between what we were talking about before the show is like, we have the same mission, right? We want to be, we're we're a global company. We don't see ourselves as anything less. And, you know, why, why are some of the guys coming out here? I mean... Uh, you know, in terms of the fitness world or training world, I think it just it lowers an administrative barrier that gets tied up because we're we're a relatively small team, and I think a lot of these shops are. So if you have two or three resources tied up and just dealing with the California Franchise State Tax Board on a fucking monthly <laughs> basis, you're not going to get anything done. You know, so like…
3: Uh, dude, uh, you, you learned how to do that in exercise science class? Is that this is… Of-
4: this was like our, our, our daily laugh. Like at least once a month, we would get a bill from the California state franchise tax board that we had no idea what it was for. <laughs> and I would call the accountant and literally she'd be like, Hey, we got another bill. She'd be like, just pay it. I'm like, don't we like foresee all this stuff? Like, why are we getting these bills? She's like, just pay it. Take a picture, send it to me. I'll go out and figure out whether or not uh, we can get your money back. And I'm like, this is crazy. Like every month. And, and it was like these erroneous, I'm like this, please, people are too much, dude. I was like, uh, you know, and, and I think the other thing too, at least for us, is we wanted the ability to create a, a much bigger presence and a bigger space and do some things. And just in Orange County, it's, uh, you know, space is such a commodity right. that you know all of a sudden you're renting these like little industrial park spots and you're, you know, dropping a couple grand a month and you're like, dude, this is all we're getting, you know, and, uh, wow. you know, so for us, we just wanted to, you know, it's time for a move and, uh, you know, me especially I just wanted a better experience for my wife and kids and my family more so than you know being underneath John Wayne's uh, you know flight path with 300 planes plus a day I mean <laughs> you know, pe- people don't realize that you know the nicest part of or well, one of the nicest parts of all of Orange County is Newport Beach It's right. literally right underneath John Wayne so like all like we would sit in our backyard and we'd be like oh this is great oh wow we're getting we're like uh, Southwest Airlines again you know and right. literally come and buzz us and uh, like after a while you don't, don't notice but then all of a sudden you move to some place like Texas where it's really quiet and all of a sudden you're like, Oh shit, I did hear that all the time. So I mean it was really just nice and it was a great opportunity. And That's you awesome. know, at this point, yeah, we were like, Fucking, let's go. And um, you know, and then the funny part is when you but, get out and tell people be like, You got wait a minute, you move from Newport Beach? That's not like, the best place in the world and I'm like, Maybe for for a time and you know, and then it's um, all perspective, it's, isn't it? Yeah. I mean it's um it, it's it's interesting. And like Luke and I were laughing a little bit. I mean, just in the, in the three weeks we've been out here, we've probably met more people and done more things than we had in the end. uh, You know, all the years we were in Orange County.
1: Yeah. I don't know what it is, if it's the air, if it's the water, but people are just more will, you know, just went by Wes's shop and just go to check out, uh, check it out. And then Wes ends up coming up from the back room and just gives us a fucking like an hour of our time. And I'm like, dude, John, you got to go check it out. And then John swings by they spend, you know, 90 minutes just chatting it up. And honestly, talk about it's just the people we've met here have been an open book whereas it, previous interactions have kind of been guarded and closed you know and i right. you know i think that um i don't know i don't know what the the common appeal is but together we can fucking conquer something great and i think that uh it, it's just been a telling experience the past couple of weeks and i mean unbeknownst to us john's so funny thing about john's house in the und undisclosed location of texas is you drive down this like you know three 400 meter driveway and it's like all through the shanty town with billy goats and roosters and <laughs> un- like the john's next door neighbor is a fucking literal and figurative gold mine i mean mr p is, is like runs this area and he's just a wealth of knowledge it's it's like
4: yeah he's uh he, he's an interesting dude he's 87 uh his, his mother owned most of the area his family owned like 700 acres from like all of like b cave and like this part of west austin and so uh and like, you know, she was born on the land in like the 1800s. And I think he was born in the thirties or something. I mean, I don't know wow. how works. And um, uh, so he, he's lived on this land like his entire life and has, you know, systematically gone through and sold off pieces and, you know, developed and done some stuff. And uh, like, so it was pretty funny. He has a standing poker game on Wednesday nights. So he invited me to, and uh, I'm just going to give anybody <laughs> listening to, it. if an 87 year old man has a 65 year standing poker game, yeah. you to come. You don't go. Well, no, just show up and watch. That's all I did.
1: Or money. be prepared to lose your money. Yeah. yeah. I,
4: I just walked in. He's like, Hey, you going to play? I'm like, no, I just came here to watch her. Sure. I'm just going to, I'm just going to hang out right here and just see what happens. I'm just going to look for people's personality and the ebb and flow. That old man who is supposedly legally blind, he absolutely took every nickel off of everything and couldn't see a single card. And so I'm sitting there and I was like, man, we need to pack him up and take him to Vegas. At, uh, which, yeah. point, as, at which point he takes off his wristwatch and throws it to me. And I, pick it up and I look at the back and it's a gold watch and it says uh a 1981 world series uh world series of poker champion and I was like, so I slide it back to him and I jump on my phone and it was some dude named like Bob Unger won that so I was like who's Bob Unger he's like I won that from him in a card game like, so you so the, the dude who won the 1981 world championship of poker that a, watch a card game and you took it off. Yeah, him he got and got it down to like, his watch yeah he was like, he's like yeah I mean, it's just a funny old dude, but uh, well, this, he, this, yeah, it's so, it's yeah, it, it's been hilarious, and he uh, he he'll periodically call me and um, you know, like give me these little tidbits of information about things, and he's always That's like, awesome, yeah, he he'll be like, you know, I'm sure you know a lot of things, but you know, I'm gonna give you little tidbits of information, use them or discard them, whatever it is, but and he literally will tell me some hilarious stuff. He called me the other day and said, uh, I got a feller coming by wants to sell me a truck. I want you to come over and look at it. And I was like, ah, I'm over at uh, the store picking up some batteries. He's like, Well, if you swing on by, uh, come on in. And so I, I drive by I didn't see anybody out there. So I went home and he called me a minute later. And uh, and uh, he's like, uh, uh, You know, paid that. Uh, that feller came by with that truck. I'm like, Oh yeah, did you get it? He's like, uh, Well, guess what kind of truck it was. I'm like, I don't know, like a uh, pickup or something. I mean, who knows? He's like, No, it was a uh, fire truck. He bought a fire truck and uh, he wanted to sell me a fire truck. And I was like, would you buy it? He's like, what the fuck's an 87 year old man going to do with a fucking fire truck? And he <laughs> had like, a deep Southern accent. And I was like, so you didn't buy the fire truck? He was like, hell no. I'll call you later. And he like hung up on me. It's he was, he was a funny old man. Like uh, um, uh, just hilarious in terms of like not only perspective, but uh, he was like raised his own strain of roosters and was like one of like the the top uh strains of cockfighting um in like the world and would sell roosters all over the world and like has this whole like folklore of roosters and i was like how the hell did you get into roosters and he, he like looked at me and he's like y- you realize that like there wasn't tv or internet or even books or anything so there really only there was only a couple things to do you either work or you drank and i didn't drink so i worked and he's like "Or well, we gambled and he's like and the only gambling really here in austin was uh was you know illegal card games or you fought roosters which were legal and so everybody who did anything would fought roosters and it was it was purely entertainment wow and uh it's just it, it's so funny like he's sitting there like you know like talking to my like five-year-old daughters and i'm thinking to myself i'm like this <laughs> old man <laughs> well he, he he you know he's super nice to them, and they like always like kind of like they'll be like oh we we drew mr perkins a uh, some pictures today and they'll go give him some stuff and he's always so sweet with them really nice but uh it's just it's it's a good uh like i hope they grow up and they'll tell stories about their old man who was this old man who was a neighbor who's yeah like this kind of a wild like, like he's got these crazy billy goats and he's got these big ass dogs that like are the complete savages that like he's just it's typical what you'd expect for texas so i'm stoked that they got this uh this experience
3: that's awesome well this all stemmed from me asking the question why why austin
4: you well, know? uh, the, the whole reason um, that we came to Austin really was, um, in 1999, uh, my rookie year in the NFL, I, my agent, uh, was from played at UT and then had a house here in B cave. And so I would come out, uh, and visit him and we went out to like the Hamilton pool reserve and really kind of hang on, uh, hung out in this area for a couple of years. And I always remember thinking like, if I was ever going to live in Texas, I like this area and I've been to Dallas and Houston and some other places. And then uh, a couple years ago, my wife and I, one of her friends is from Austin. We came out and visited her over New Year's and we like, you know, went to all you know, the places that I had been, you know, years previous. And uh, we just kind of liked the vibe and our, our idea was that we wanted to buy a house here or some land and like maybe build a second home. And so we'd been out here for like two years. We periodically come out or we, if we had any chance to come out to Austin we'd come out and hang out here and, you know, rent a place and we stayed out at like different resorts and would just, you know, go out and look at land and we found some really killer land plots. And then, um, we uh, just had an opportunity to sell our house in uh, Newport Beach. I mean, this dude in a uh, Matt Black convertible Lamborghini wanted it more than us. And uh, so the guy yeah. bought our home, and we were out 30 days later and started looking for a place, and we were just going to buy some land and rent a place and build it, and then we found this place. And so we made them an offer they couldn't refuse, and they closed. And about nine days later, we were out here. So it was more just kind of wow. opportunity presented itself, and we liked the area. And, um, you know, the one thing that I'm big on is, uh, you know, coming from California is always like water. And I know this is kind of strange, but, like, I like to see water on uh, like, and that was my deal. It's like, there's gotta be some form of river, some like Creek or there's gotta be water on the property. And uh, a big thing I wanted is I wanted to own both sides of the Creek because I didn't want anybody to be able to like, Hey, this is what you can and can't do. Cause after coming from Newport beach where you have to ask permission to do everything, right. so I, wanted, I just wanted a, a little bit of freedom to be able to do what we wanted. And um, this property popped up and it was a new house and you know, 16 acres and owned a river with both sides and had all the prerequisites we were looking for. And uh, for the most part, it was kind of nondescript off the road. It was pretty close to the, to where we wanted to be. And, you know, there were some good schools in the area and, you know, Lake Travis has got a pretty good football program. If, if we, my son ever wanted to play and had the opportunity to be able to build uh, an office and have a, put a gym up on the property and not have to like, you know, go rent anything. So it's just kind of like, as we were going through it, it was just like clicking all of these boxes. Right. And, and and then all of a sudden we were like, you know, what are we waiting for? Let's go. So we pulled the trigger and uh, told Luke and Luke's like, fuck yes. Uh, I'm glad <laughs> to get out of here. I mean, you know, like I, I, always joke that like, uh, you know, for these guys, especially like, like you know, I mean, I don't think I've seen a home in Coast Mesa, Newport beach under eight, $800,000. Right. So like for these guys buying a house, I mean, you know, I mean, it's, you gotta make some serious jack or, I mean, well, you can make good money, but even having the down payment. So, uh, we were just looking for just a good opportunity and, um, I think we found a pretty cool spot thus far. So we were, we were like- yeah, no, we, it, it, it should turn out pretty neat if we can get it all set up it just takes a little bit of time and i'm in, and i'm impatient but uh you know and i, I think too and ron you, you know this like you've lived in one place for a while and then all of a sudden you get a chance to go someplace new and it kind of adds and invigorates you a little bit and i new adventure yeah I, I got the opportunity you know i went to berkeley and then went to uh went to philly and then i lived in florida went to kansas city and then you know lived in different places and i always like the ability to be able to move and see new things and you know get new perspective and I think uh, after being in California for, geez, almost nine, 10 years straight, I was like, man, it's time to, time to pack up and try something new. I hear that. I don't know if you could pay me enough to live in California, to be honest with you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I ain't gonna lie to you.
3: It's beautiful, but uh, it's, uh, traffic alone would keep uh, going
4: out there.
1: Yeah, but you could spend a long weekend there.
4: I definitely yeah. spend a long weekend. So I, when I lived in Newport, so I was living in Newport beach and I was training in Carson at athletes performance. And so anybody that knows that between Orange County and Carson is on the four or five, which means, you know, wherever you got to go, it's going to take four or five hours. And, uh, <laughs> I like that. So I had to train at nine. So I would leave the house by like six forty-five or seven because it would either take me 30 minutes or two and a half hours. Wow. And so I got to the point where I literally just, I I had a uh, pretty tricked out uh, uh, Suzuki Hayabusa motorcycle. And I would literally get on the bike and I would lane split that thing up to Carson every day. And I remember Rasteg saw me pull in and he's like, are you fucking serious? And I'm like, what? He's like, you drive a fucking, uh, uh, you know, a 1300cc fucking race bike up here? I'm like, dude, that's how you got to ride this thing. And I remember thinking like the fact that I have to fucking lane split just to make it here in 30, 40 minutes is insane. And at that point I was like, you know what, like, this is too much, but I mean, it's, it's pretty interesting, just the, the traffic and the amount of people. And even in the last five years, how many people have moved to orange County is just like, it's insane. Like we were, I, you know, I, I figured with the drought and all that people would be slowing down. Now nah, it just seems like more people are coming.
1: Yeah, they're, they're putting up more, there's no, no increased or improved infrastructure in terms of like lanes or highways. And yeah. I think just last year alone, they put in like something like hundred thousand homes in, in, yep. in just in Newport beach. Wow. Yeah,
4: so so there was uh, they uh, between the, uh, another big one was between where, where Luke and I lived like our like our area and where we worked at the at Power Athlete they built I think 750 condos, uh, and it's it was a one single you know uh, two lane road and they basically like built 750 condos and they were in the process of building I think another 1500. Wow. So like just in our three miles, they were adding over like, I mean, what's that? Like, you know, some crazy, like 225, 50 domiciles or something. And uh, we were like, looks like, dude, traffic's terrible. What's it going to look like? I'm like, man, it might be time to get out of this place, dude. <laughs> well, that, that was kind of our, uh, our, our our big spur. We were just like, you know, I because we, I think I lived three and a half miles from work and it was on an average of 17 to 20 minute commute. Now you get to walk right
3: out your back door and go right to work.
4: Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's pretty amazing. I mean, That's just awesome. the... Yeah. I mean to hear birds chirp and see animals and like I remember we looked out in the paddock one morning and there was like fifty deer and my daughter were like, What are those? Are those dogs? I'm like, oh, it's deer. <laughs> you know, and like and I realized how like disconnected they were in terms of like nature and things. Like they're running around barefoot and like one of my daughters stepped in in, in like a red anthill. Oh, and yeah. she was like, Ah, and I was like that and I'm like, this is a great way to learn these tricks. I'm like, well, you guys are used to running. Right I'm like, yeah, exactly. So now they have like boots they put on when they go run around outside and they were like, we're not going to let those ants get us. And I'm like, just the, uh, the practical learning of like, you know, the country living is, uh, is good. And it's fresh air. I mean, which is kind of strange. looks like, what's that smell? I'm like, I think that's non-pollution. <laughs> it's like, that's fucking crazy. I'm like, I know dude. It's like, uh, like or, or the other one too, and, and sorry, this will be my last little compare and contrast. But um, I didn't realize the light signature that living in Orange County in a major city is associated with. But like at six in the morning when I would get up, it was like you know the sun would be coming up, but it would already kind of be glowing in light. Right. And like you don't realize, like you have you know thousands of homes and cars and street lights and you know airport airport and all that give off just even a little bit this light signature, and then it grows into this big signature. Yeah. So all of a sudden, where we're at there is no light signature all of a sudden yeah i mean until the sun comes up there's nothing and then like as the sun comes up it gets light but like unless there's a full moon there's zero light signature like you can't see like a foot in front of you so i mean it's kind of interesting in that perspective
3: just just make sure you take a shotgun to the freaking swimming hole
4: yeah, no, we – uh I uh, <laughs> I got to go pick up these little – they have these little snake charmers, these little, little like 410 shotguns that uh, are like single shots that like little kids can have and uh, parents, I guess, use. Um, yeah, I mean, our stuff would be like, I'm going to need that full auto, you know, fucking 760. <laughs> <laughs> kill everything. My wife's like, why is that thing on a tripod? I'm like, don't worry about their snakes down there. <laughs> yeah <You know? laughs> So, yeah, it's uh it's – yeah, no it 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 should be a cool experience, and uh, you know, one I hope that you know in ten years my kids are like, you know, I can't believe we left Newport Beach. That place was fucking the best with the OC, and I'll be like, God damn it, go to college, get the fuck out of here, you know. But or, yeah. I hope, hopefully they understand the appreciation of it. No doubt.
1: Well, let's let's shift gears. Let's pivot. Yeah. Tex, go. All right.
2: So one of the topics I want to get your and John's perspective on, Ron, is the the incident in Oregon. So, strength and conditioning coach puts, puts the team, football team, during January through a workout, and then all of a sudden, it's this high-intensity workout, ESPN's reporting on it, all this crazy stuff, strength coach suspended, and they're just vilifying the workout. However, what we need to understand is also the time of year. This is a brand-new head football coach, so he brought in a new strength staff. So, right. this is – you know several things. I don't know if they're trying to set the tone. It's a new system, um, and we also need to factor in like the the age of the athletes. So how the media perspective right now is just a intense workout. There's a lot of things that we need to really factor in and bring to the table here. So I thought this would be a really good conversation for for all of our listeners. Um, yeah, absolutely. So especially the new football coach part. So Ron, you've been to several different programs, or even the South Florida alum, which is this head coach is coming from. So I don't know if you had an opportunity to read up on the event or can pro- provide any insight, and we can start this conversation. Yeah, you know, uh, actually, you know, I'd love to
3: get John's
4: perspective as well, but the uh, – <laughs> uh,
3: well, I'll tell you what, John, wants to go
4: first. <laughs> I want to get yours first. Uh, well, okay. Um, my perspective is, and people were outraged, they were, I think it was like, oh, they were making them do like, um, I don't know, what was it, an hour of push-ups and burpees or something? Was right. that was like, these guys got some sick. Um, when people asked me, they seemed so outraged. And I was like, dude, these kids should have shown up in shape. I mean, that's really like my deal. And like, uh, you know, every strength coach, everybody that's ever played football knows that when you show up after winter break, the co- you know, the strength coach obviously gives you his training program. And they always tell you, when you go home for winter break, make sure you train because mm-hmm. if you don't, you're going to be in trouble because we're going to come back and it's not going to be easy. We got to get ready into winter conditioning and we're going to know who's ready and who's not. And like we used to have those same deal. We used to do the Nebraska circuits. We came back and that was Todd Rice's deal. We're going to do the Nebraska circuits, you know, the metabolic conditioning cycles and we're going to see who's shape and who's not. And uh, you know, and it's, it's ugly. People are going to throw up or we even did the old school mat drills as I'm sure you you guys have done. And all that stuff is about building toughness and everything. And I literally trained every winter conditioning because I didn't want to be the dude. That was right. the guy throwing up or looking like an asshole or gets, you know, something happens. And you know what, like that was personal deal, but also, which I think about now is also survival that, you know, these guys are getting paid to be there and people are like, oh, these kids, and I'm like, dude, these aren't kids. These are grown men playing at a division one school. That's a top 10 potential national championship school that are getting a very nice gift of getting to go to college and play at the highest level with potential to go play in the NFL. And those dudes show up, and I'm like, let's say you got 150 kids on that, on that roster. Three of those kids end up, you know, something bad ends up happening to them. Why was it? Were they out of shape? Were they, you know, how did it all happen? And they were like, oh, they did an hour of burpees and, uh, and push-ups. And I'm like, really? Only an hour, huh? And then uh, the story I related was uh, Tom Cable was my offensive line coach in college, and uh, yeah. I got into a fist fight in practice. And uh, he got pissed and because, um, uh, I guess, you know, we had gotten uh, lectures about fighting and, you know, we don't want any fights, and I basically fucking stomped this kid. And so he uh, tells me, he's like, as you you know, screams at me, your punishment is um, 800 yards of up-downs. So after practice, in the heat, in Turlock, California, 110 degrees with the cows, I got 800 yards of up-downs, which is every five yards you run, you drop down in full pads, you pop up like a burpee, yeah. and you do that for 800 yards. So how many is that, 160 up-downs? 800 yards of running post-practice, hundred degree heat in full pads. Did I survive? Yes. Was I in shape? Always. Because God helped me that I'm never going to put myself into situation. Now I know people look and everybody thinks they're armchair quarterback, but I look at it like, uh, you know, was it inappropriate? Probably. Is every bit of training, especially in college, you know, fundamentally the smartest thing that we got to be so strategic, strength, conditioning scientists. No, a lot of part of this stuff is just the psychology of discomfort and fuck you show up in shape. So having not been there, and I I can't armchair quarterback it unless I was there and knowing those kids and how it all went down, but but I'm pretty sure that there's a bunch of CrossFits and we got thousands of them that if you walked in and be like, okay, for the next 60 minutes, we have a max uh, AMRAP of 10 pushups, 10 burpees. Three, two, one, go. How many of those people you think would uh, either self-auto-regulate, self-do this, or be able to make it through? Most people. Mm -hmm. So... I don't know. I mean, uh, I can't say those kids are are weak or where the coaches were right or anything, but I'm just saying that as a collegiate athlete, a football player who's expected to be in shape because this is your scholarship and what you were doing, the mere fact that just an hour of burpees and up-downs and push-ups and just basically body weight movements is going to give you rhabdo to the point where you have to go in the hospital and create some fucking big social media campaign about it. I'm not buying it. I think those fucking kids were out of shape. Yeah. And I
1: think going back to John, to like the Iowa deal, remember the, the back squat deal.
4: Same thing. So, so, so that same thing happened and you know what I did? I, I hit them up, got the workout and you know, what we did, we programmed the workout on CrossFit football. Yeah. We had thousands of people do it and they all, and every, it was like, it was like uh two twenty five back squat for 10 reps, one prowler push. Mm-hmm. And I think they did it like for 10 rounds. So a yeah. like hundred back squats, 10 power pushes
1: and i think john what another like another you kind of put yourself in the shoes of those athletes and you you know it was like uh well let's here's what probably happened i fucking played division one football these guys probably went out or, or like were going out the last hurrah before training camp starts they were dehydrated they were out of shape they had been drinking fucking beers all week and they showed up totally unprepared and the physiological effects of that stress over overcame or overtook those handful of guys what about the other 90 guys on the roster type deal right, right.
4: Yeah. that and also um uh if you ask any football player that's played at a high level been to training camp or whatever and you ask them hey have you ever got like worked out or have been in practice or done a workout to the point where you were so sore that you really couldn't like bend your arms or legs and your piss look like root beer and they'd be like yeah, yeah <laughs> numerous times and you're like yeah that's fucking rhabdo i'm yeah. pretty sure i've given myself rhabdo numerous times it's but it's like like, what? I just was like too scared to fucking say anything. I'd be like, yeah, it's real painful. Let's just go warm up, or I'll get in the ice, or you'll we'll do something, or I'm just going <laughs> to get a ton of water because my piss is dark. I think it's just, uh, I mean, and, you know, Ron's going to laugh because he knows Tom Cable. If I came yeah. in and told Tom Cable, I can't practice because you gave me rhabdo, Tom Cable would probably remove <laughs> my nuts with like a one fell swoop. and No doubt. I, I've told these guys that we were in, in a meeting one time, and this guy uh, uh, was complaining about something and uh tom basically took a, a a dictionary and flung it at the kid's head and it embedded it in the wall and he screamed at him you know basically fucking i want you to look for uh, sympathy in there between shit and syphilis <laughs> he got out of the meeting and told him to go down and talk to steve edwards or R- rogers who was our manager and to give up his scholarship and fucking wash jocks <laughs> oh dude he was the uh, most i mean like <laughs> like the level of fucking maniacal insanity that is Tom Cable, most people would literally like, I, I can't even imagine my kids today having that type of coach, but that was the environment in which we played. And like, right. I just don't, I mean, I'm, and you, you know the same deal, man. Like, I just don't have a lot of fucking sympathy for, you know, people that are asked to do a job I'm told what to do. This is what's going to happen. And then you don't fucking do it. Like right. I run into people all the time with this shit. I'm like, Hey, this is what's expected of you. This is what's going to happen. If it doesn't show up, I'm going to show up. Let's see. And three, two, one go, let's find out. And right. they fucking are surprised. Like what? What? Yeah. Well, I
3: think that, you know, that's and to me, I I, mean, I kind of, I kind of wrote three things down as you're talking, you know, one, I think people need to know the details before they start. I mean, what, what made me sick about the whole thing was, the number of fitness professionals, strength coaches, everybody else that jumped on and and just wanted to freaking go hang the strength coach, you know, without knowing any of the details, you know? And I, what I do know is this, is that those kids, like you're, like you're talking about, those kids were given a program to do as soon as the season ended, they were given a program to do until they showed back up that would have got them prepared for whatever they were about to face, you know? And, and if they, if they were given that and they didn't do it, then there's got to be some accountability there uh, on their part, you know. And so not only that, but then also know what the workout is. And so you look at all the accounts and, you know, it's, it's secondhand, you know, this person told a reporter, you know, this player that's unnamed says all we did was push-ups and sit-ups for an hour or whatever it was, or up-downs for an hour. Well, you know, there's many workouts where if guys weren't doing things right, I'd tell them to do, you know, do the 10 up-downs and let's go on, you know. In their minds, if you would have asked them after that, they would have said, yeah, all we did was up-downs because Coach Mag had, had it out for me today. You know, we did a lot of things. You know, up-downs was one of them. And not knowing exactly what, I mean, what the protocol is, when you knew the exact protocol with Iowa, you went out and you did it, and many people did it, and they were just fine.
4: Yeah, they were fine. So,
3: and not knowing what, what happened there, I mean, it really irritates me to hear coaches kind of jump on another coach when that's when we need to rally the troops. You know, that's when we need to kind of protect each other because we, we've all been in that situation where we've thrown the textbook out the window, the scientific textbook out the window. and We've done motivational tactics and motivational workouts to, to send a message in some way. Always, you know, there's not a coach out there that, that doesn't want to protect their athletes, you know. And and so I'm, you know, with trainers there, with coaches there, with strength staff there, I can almost bet without knowing the protocol that the protocol wasn't something that they should not have been not able to handle, you know? Uh, But you're right when they don't control the other 22 hours outside of the weight room and they come in and maybe they've drank all night, stayed up all night, freaking didn't do jack for two weeks and, and and show up. You know what? That's going to, that workout's going to suck.
4: Yeah. yeah, It should. and It it fucking should. Like that's the problem is that people like, I I saw this, uh, you know, and I I shouldn't do it. I should delete my Facebook, but I, somebody tagged me in it and they were like going (laughs) through. And I basically was like, dude, uh, I don't have any, some of these kids showed up out of shape. And this guy was like, well, if that was my kid, I'd be driving up there. And I was like, to do what? Yeah. Up. I'm like, wait, well, you're going to drive up there and fucking beat up the coach because your kid is out of shape. I'm like, you know what? Like, there was never a point at which, uh you know, the way I looked at, at part of my training, and, and I'm sure you think about it a lot, is that, you know, why are you training for football? Is it performance? I always had a survival. Like, part of my thing was I wanted to be as big and strong as I could and, like, you know, put on mass and do all these things so that I could survive the task ahead of me. And whether that be on the field or a guy like Tom Cable or whoever it is, I needed to physically be able to be durable enough and be able to survive this stuff that whatever comes at me and if the coach wants us to do push-ups and fucking 800 yards of up downs after practice for you know and that shit took me a pretty long amount of time that right. i'm durable and strong enough and you know resilient enough and fucking dumb enough to be able to just be like i'm never going to give up on and i'm never going to show this dude weakness so i'm just going to go fucking do it and i'm going to go home and be upset about it later right. but i mean that's so uh, but but that was part that was also part of kind of I just read
2: a few articles about it and that these were these were older guys. So new coach coming in and they wanted to send a message to the coach. So they were doing
4: everything and pushing beyond I guess their preparedness in that moment in that workout. Right. So so the kids so they were going extra hard and they they were trying to impress the coach and gave themselves rabdo. But it doesn't that- mean that they did
2: did or did not do the the winter conditioning, but in this instant, in this one moment, that's older, older guys. I
4: I just have a hard time believing that somebody, because this is the thing, like like, part of like, you know, you build a training volume over a number of years, that escalates and like, you know, the progressive overload, like, you know, I mean, people always ask like, Oh, uh, you know, uh, in the NFL, like how do people not die from those hits? I would die from those hits. I'm like, well, yeah, because when we were, you know, 13 years old or 14 years old, we were playing with other 14 year olds and we took those hits. And then as you got older and bigger and stronger, the other people got this and the hits got more violent, more violent, more violent. So then over all of a sudden you're 28, 30 years old playing against other 28 or 30 year old men and those hits are as violent as you can be, but it's the progressive overloading of time and basically being able to like, you know, you just don't go from zero to 100 and you have to take all those steps. Mm-hmm. So what I have a hard time believing is that established older veteran players in a division one place like Oregon were actually able to push themselves to the point of Rabdo. and ironically, and I'm never gonna fucking say this, but not only was I playing in the NFL, but I competed in the CrossFit games, and then went to training camp for the fucking New England Patriots. Now, if somebody was going to give themselves fucking Rabdo, it would have been me, and I wasn't able to give myself Rabdo. So you're telling me, and I fucking played for not only Tom Cable, but Todd Rice and some of the fucking craziest motherfuckers with uh, Mike Waffle and Steve Mariucci, all these coaches that I played with. I mean, dude, like, like, I just cannot like. I never saw this happen, and I cannot fathom that all of a sudden in 2016 that these kids are finding some extra gear that they can hit into that are going to allow them to give themselves rhabdomyolysis. Well,
3: that, that's my second point uh, that I wrote down is, and, and I've gone through this even myself with um, you know a couple of my athletes through years, but the misdiagnosis of rhabdo in the first place, you know, I mean, especially with I me, mean, you guys all know physicians just as well as I do, and I mean, there's some of the most unfit un you know, uneducated people when it comes to uh, performance and and fitness there are. But it's really just uh, levels of creatine kinase, you know, and and, uh, no matter what, when you go out and you have a workout, there's going to be elevated levels of creatine kinase. And at what point does that become rhabdo is still really uncertain, you know. And so being able to really determine that and diagnose it properly um, I think is that, you know, so what happens is your kid goes in, he's got, just got done doing a workout. Rhabdo is a hot topic. His elevated. He's got elevated levels of creatine kinase, you know, he's got rhabdo and, and that's what they tell the parents. And all of a sudden it's, it's a news story, you know? And, and I think that there's gotta be more education done uh, with our physicians. I think there's, you know, I I went into a situation where, you know, um, a, a, a a doctor was essentially kind of doing that. He had seen the elevated levels of creatine kinase. The workout wasn't that hard. We were in the eighth week of the program, you know, and I had to go through step-by-step step and, and, and lay out exactly what we did and the progression for that to kind of basically steer them off of making a diagnosis of rhabdo, you know, and um, so it just doesn't, that to me, that's a second part of this. That's, that's an issue.
4: Well, the uh, um, just to give some perspective. So uh, my last year in Berkeley, I had a, uh offensive line coach was a guy named Monty Clark, and Monty had played in the NFL for a long time and had played at USC, you know, back in the day and, uh, you know, had been the head coach for the Detroit Lions and had been at Stanford and kind of came back in this. I mean, he was an older dude in his 70s, you know, kind of last hurrah, like, you know, uh, they asked him to come and coach offensive line. And I remember one of the guys was complaining about an injury, and uh, Monty looked at him and said, you know, uh, um, Dick Butkus kicked me in the balls uh, during a game. Um, I was playing against Dick Buckus, and he kicked me square in the balls. And uh, we punted, and I came off, and my balls swole up the size of cantaloupes. They took my pants down, and the doctor actually drained the blood out of both testicles, out of my sack, and he put it into uh, – tape used to come in these tape canisters. And they basically filled up two tape canisters full of blood in, while the defense <coughs> was out there. Basically wrapped him up, put an ace bandage around it. And he went out there and didn't miss a play. Damn so like he was like and this guy was talking about like you know like uh you know this injury or whatever and monty told him that story and i remember like he kind of like he got real silent he's then um the guy just kind of like just walked away and i remember like looking and i was like uh, and i actually asked monty later i'm like you serious he's like yeah he's like i take my fucking pants down and show you the scars where that doctor fucking drained my balls and he's like and i can remember like it was yesterday i can't remember my fucking wedding or what or the birth of my kids that doctor fucking basically draining the blood out of my testicles and uh, yeah, I like looked at him and I was like that's some serious shit but like that's like, like and and uh, like that's to, to me like that's what you do I mean fuck I took a helmet to leg and I broke my leg and should I played 17 weeks on that broken leg because that's what the deal is like if you're if if you're at the point and I and I, I'll tell you this I mean those guys have kind of fucked themselves especially in an NFL deal I mean they're dude, I mean for guys that would cause this type of situation I don't know it just to me um just have a hard time whether, and I agree with Ron, maybe it was misdiagnosed or maybe these kids just found some extra gear or, you know, I mean, the other one we found in the CrossFit situation was people on statins or maybe they were on some medications. Um, you know, right. I know people that are on statins are more prevalent to rhabdomyolysis. And on top of it, I think even in the CrossFit deal, they only really had a couple of like reported cases of it. So, I don't know. It just, it seems, it seems like a bunch of witch doctory and a bunch of fucking, you know, witch hunt to me, but I, like think I think
3: it goes back to, again, just knowing all the details. I mean, you know, for a fact that the doctors aren't coming out and saying what the diagnosis is because of, you know, doctor patient privilege and all those types of things. And you know, they're just, they're going to paint all the entire picture for the family and the family is going to go out oftentimes miseducated. And try to say things. So you just you just don't know the situation, and uh, again goes back to me. You know, we 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 have an obligation to make sure that athletes know what they're getting themselves into and preparing properly. That's part of the education process. We have an obligation to not jump on each other, you know. And then uh, the third thing that I wrote down, you know, w- w- when you were saying this was, we have an obligation to protect ourselves against our, ourselves and our coaches, you know. And so if I would have said john you know if i would have said um here's the workout tom cable we're gonna go out there we're gonna run we're gonna do the lifting you know we're gonna practice we're gonna lift and we're gonna run four gassers what's the first thing tom's gonna do when the gassers are over oh yeah we got you're gonna do more you're gonna do more you're gonna you're gonna do do eight you're gonna do double because that's just the mentality in that type of environment you know and so you know if, if if the strength coach did, and I'm not saying he did, but if he went in there and he's like, "Okay, we're going to send a message," and he put in all this extra work on top of what would have been already planned, knowing that I'm going to send this message, well, then you you put coaches out there in that environment. Also, it's going to get taken a, 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 to another level, you know. And so, you know, one of the things that I did, you know, is you got to you got to you got to be a master manipulator to be an effective strength coach, in my opinion. Yeah, you know? that's true. And so, you know what I would do is the first four months in January when the coaches are out recruiting, you know, it used to be back, you know, when we played, it was freaking Matt drills started as soon as you got back. Sure. Well, I, you know, I would go up to the coaches and say, Hey, look guys, you are super busy right now. You're out recruiting. You're, 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 you're traveling all over the country right now. You're just trying to bring people in. Let's, let's not do bat drills. I want you guys around. I want you really involved. Let's not do mat drills until February. You know, but then we're gonna lo- we're gonna load it up in February. And we're gonna go. Well, that gave me all of January to prepare them and do a progressive overload to get them ready for what's about to come, you know, and you would just have to sell it and, and frame it in a way that the coach is like, oh yeah, that makes sense Well, I'm, I don't want, I don't feel like getting up at five o'clock in the morning to come in here when I've been traveling on the road all week long, you know and I think we have an obligation to build that kind of stuff in our workouts just like we have you know if we're gonna send a message let's let's find a way to do it. You know, without programming it in.
1: So, Ron, I know this is probably going to be a futile exercise, but let's say you know, circumstantially making some assumptions here. Um, what could what could they have done differently? Right. I know. I know we don't know the details, so that like right. it's a disclaimer here. But like w- we made some assumptions. Maybe the kids can't. Let's just do it, say it's a little bit of everything. Kids came in a little bit out of shape, right? Uh, let's say they have a, a fifth gear uh, or found a sixth gear or whatever you want to call it, um, and then let's see what else. Uh, was there? You just so so. How do how do you throttle it back? Is there are there warning signs? Like you've been there, you've been right. there firsthand. Uh, John's been there firsthand. So what what do you think could have been done different? Was this avoidable? Should you know? I guess I'll let you elaborate.
3: Yeah, I think I mean what I would have done differently possibly is to, uh, uh, is not put them in a charge situation right away. You know, if you put it, the entire coaching staff that just got there, they're trying to send a message. You got players that are coming off of a season where they didn't perform in years what they've been doing, you know, and they're, and they're jacked up and they want, to show, they want to prove themselves. And then you throw a straight staff that just comes in that's got to set the tone for the entire offseason when everybody dissipates. You know, they still got to maintain that kind of control and demeanor and perspective and um, authority.
4: But it's just mean,
3: a, it's such a charged
4: situation. What I think people are forgetting too is that Oregon's a high-motor team. I mean, they, I mean, dude, they are the run and gun, the run and shoot, no huddle, yeah. nonstop. I mean, Chip Kelly tried to bring it to the NFL. I mean, just like that has been their culture for, I mean, those guys were recruited into that culture. So I have a hard time believing like, like if they were a, uh, you know, UT as an example, where you got these 350 pound offensive linemen that are used to running maybe like 45 plays, you know, and maybe like 10 run plays. Cause if not, they'll have fucking heart attacks and die. I mean, you know, like right. you're bringing it in, like high motor. I mean, dude, when I played in Philly, it was like that. I mean, we had these like, right. you know, dude, like, you know, run six screens in a row type of stuff. So, I mean, that was the nature of them. And, uh, you know, to have those type of players be able to go out into conditioning and do it, I just like something is either misdiagnosis or something fucked up because dude, well, those guys were recruited into that. that I mean, and, and it wasn't like their other, old string coach was a slouch. That right. did hammer as well. Yeah. I mean, as Ron will tell you, the, classic classic uh, move that a program will make uh, so the head coach can buy himself a little bit more breathing room is to fire the strength staff. So like, ooh, we didn't have a good season. It must have been. And what they'll do is they'll do, use them as sacrificial lamb. They'll fire the strength staff. They'll bring somebody in. And because that'll give them a little more breathing room, hopefully to turn it around. And a lot of times it's never the strength program. Like, right. it, it's just it's a fucking tactical move. So they whack the dude. They bring in these new guys. You know, oh yeah, we're gonna go in there and change the culture. These dudes were already in a goods program. So, right. like, uh, you know, and I'm sure you've been on the other end of that one where you're like, both. I've been on both sides dude. of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and you, you know, I'm sure you've gone into schools where you're like, dude, the guy here was a stud. Like, it's just yeah. one of those things where the, the the head coach is trying to give himself one more opportunity to not get his head chopped off. Right. And, so i i don't know i'm just not buying it It seems like bullshit to me
3: well i think the other thing that you meant, you mentioned there that you know often i i just got done um meeting with uh w- with one of the, the united states olympic committee team uh, strength coaches the other day and he's a new strength coach came in and of course the last guy did everything wrong you know yes. and this is a completely different system and he went in and just said everything you've been doing sucks you know this is you know essentially pro athletes everything you've been doing sucks I've got the answer. Here you go. You know, and it's a completely different system. Well, when you do that, I mean, I, I was using it as a bad example because you just, you, you always need to blend the systems at least initially yeah. so that you, you, you create buy-in. But this also, you know, is relevant to, to this conversation in that, you know, let's say, and I know, I know Jimmy, Jimmy's phenomenal. Um, so I know this isn't the case, but let's say Jimmy was just a conditioning guy and did no resistance training. And the new guy is only resistance training and didn't do really much conditioning. Well, if he comes in and he's training them in a, different, a completely different type of program where it's all resistance training based, and then you go out and run them, yeah, they're going to be gassed. And yeah, there's going to be elevated levels of creatine kinase. And yeah, they're going to feel like they can't move their arms. And you know, and it's going to be one of those things where you know you, you do, going back to your question on what would you do differently – I'd blend the systems a little bit more in the early phases. I would take them out of charge situations. I'd go small groups, you know, at least for the first week. I'd like to go for the first month, keep the coaches out of it, keep them with just me so I can progressively overload it. And then not only does that give you an opportunity to prepare them properly um, and get them back back coming off of a break typically, but it also creates a new stimulus going into your second – phase of the off season of the winter to get them charged back up to get through those next four weeks to
4: spring ball. Yeah, I mean, so, it's, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah I, it, I, I, always love loved to, and you were totally referencing the Olympic program that the guy, you know, comes in, everybody did, and he, you know, everything was wrong. Nothing was right. I mean, I, I was in that same situation where we had, uh, Eric Cohn was our strength coach uh, at Cal and then, um, you know, he ends up getting fired and they bring in Todd Rice, who of course, you know, throws everything out. I mean, the entire weight yeah. room, we do this you know and literally came in just a little bit less oh yeah no it was snatch clean and jerk i wasn't allowed to bench press it was i wasn't allowed to back squat i could only front squat snatch clean and jerk and and, uh, right. and vertical press so i would have to go down to the rsf and actually do bench press at the uh um, at the student center because he wouldn't fucking allow it and if you did do that he would you know as you know todd's kind of prickly would fucking verbally assault you with uh, <laughs> a lot of f-bombs and work on belittling you so we just figured it was easier like we, we used to actually call him rice patty because we felt like we were soldiers, <laughs> we didn't know when the VC were going to pop up. And get us. So we were like, "Dude, how's rice Patty? And like, "Dude, he's on fucking point, man. You got to look out for him. He's going to shoot." So we'd be like, "All right, we're going to go somewhere else." But, I mean, like, that type of thing is smart in that, you know, you come into a situation, um, you know, and you have established players. I mean, some of those guys might even be in their fifth year going in trying to potentially maybe go play in the NFL. And if you come in and throw out everything they've been taught before, I mean, you know, and these are what these guys have bought into, I think you can really run into some problems. And so the idea of blending deals, but
3: – And, oh, just, by the way, they've
4: won, you know, four of the five years. You oh, know? my God. I mean, Oregon – They've I mean, done pretty was, well. Yeah, I mean, dude, they, they have uh, gone in and not only been dominant, I mean, they got Nike money. I mean, dude, they have one of the, and as you know, I mean, one of the nicest facilities in college history. I mean, dude, it's, it's unbelievable. So, I mean, to have veteran guys go in there and have that happen, it just, it just doesn't seem right. And I'm, Luke reminded me the other day, uh, one of the guys that played with Trey Thomas uh, made a joke one time. He was like, I don't like that guy. And I was like, why? And he's like, his curl ain't right. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, his hair just doesn't curl right. We don't like it. <laughs> and, and I, and I, and it, it was just a joke that like something was off and he did. He couldn't explain it, but just something was off about that dude. And I think like this whole thing, when I was looking at the reports, I was like, something's off about this. Like, right. This is either bullshit or we're not getting the whole deal because doing pushups and up downs of just body weight stuff. Now, if they were like, Hey, we're doing, uh, these guys did 100 reps of 105% of their back squat, just eccentric loads yeah. and they weren't allowed to have any water in 115 degree heat. And we'd, been popping, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, what is it, uh, uh, a leave. And, I mean, like, there would be something better. But I'm just thinking, like, body weight movements? That shouldn't make that happen for right. guys that are level, collegiate players playing in
3: Oregon. Right. I, I think, you know, the, the one thing, though, again, that I just go back to is I, I know I know Jimmy Radcliffe really well. I know the defensive coordinator that just came in there. I worked for it South Florida. I mean, I, I know men on both sides of, of both staffs. I know they're good men. I know they're good coaches, you know, and, and, uh, and again, I just, what really upset me about that whole situation was just a number of people that came out of the woodworks on social media and want to talk all big and bad and, and say all these fat, you know, terrible things about people without the facts and without digging into it and letting it come out and, and just knowing that they could have been in that situation and just, you know, let's support each other's, you know, let's find out, what it is and let's get better and learn from it you know how can we do a better job and have these types of conversations
4: well it's always easy too to you know be the you know hindsight's 2020 armchair quarterback this is what I would have done and I'm like but sadly you're not and you're on social media complaining about this dude and I mean to the point where even people tag me because they were I think they think that I'm going to jump in and be like oh that was wrong I'm like no dude show up in shape, fucking protect yourself. And like, if, if those guys were pushing so hard that they gave themselves rabdo, then they need to fucking learn how to sandbag a little bit too. <laughs> um, like, like, like there is a, uh, uh and, and Ron's laughing. Cause there is a, uh, unknown code of offensive linemen. Right there are certain ways that offensive linemen sandbag his groups, like the one, like yeah, the one guy
3: jump offside so the whole yeah. group can walk back and get get an extra break. Yeah, yeah no. or
4: uh, or what's called the uh, <laughs> uh, lineman shuffle. So like the like if you ever watch offensive linemen, they always run in a group and they shuffle <laughs> two different grills. and they'll yell, be like, get over there, but yet they all run in like a little group so that and if anybody sprints, they're like, dude, I'm gonna kill you. Don't sprint. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's like, there's different ways to sandbag for survival and we do it in training camp. Everybody does it. And like, it's the idea they can't fire us all like kind of deals. So there's there's there's
1: even that, that negotiation in the scrimmage too, between D line and O line. We had that, like, it's like, Hey, Hey, it's the uncle play (laughs) uncle, uncle, just everybody pretend their best effort, get a breath. Uh, yeah,
4: you know the, the only problem with that is that uh, there's always the one fucking guy that doesn't do that and no look fucking stupid. So like people would always be like, "Hey, okay with this," I'm like, "I can't do it." You know why? Because you're gonna fucking rope-a-dope me, and then I'm an <laughs> asshole. And uh, uh, f- funny story, uh, one of my fucking best friends in the world uh, played on another team, and he was a defensive lineman. And I remember during the game, it was towards the end of the game, he like looks at me, and he's like, "Well, born just give me a sack. He's like, dude, this is my contract year. And he looked at, and uh, like it was funny, You're like the whole game. He's like, just give me one, give me one. And and I couldn't do it. There's no fucking way. And I remember like a year later, he's like, dude, if only. And I was like, man, <laughs> I should have fucking done it. And he's like he's like would you have really? I'm like, no. I wouldn't have. But I'm telling you I should have done it, but I wouldn't have done it. There's I'd no be- way. Like like that part of me doesn't exist to be like, you know. But. I did.
3: I had a, I went out one time. Was was with Tampa, and so we had uh, Tyoka Jackson. who was all American in Penn State. We had Warren Sapp. We had Anthony McFarlane, Yeah. And uh, I can't remember who the other end was. That would been Simeon Rice. Uh, well, no, it was before It was Marcus Jones, the guy that went oh, to the UFC okay. there. Yeah. But then we, yeah. So Monty Kiffin comes through the weight room, and you know we're sitting there waiting for the next group, and he's like, you know, I need you guys out there for walkthrough dummies. You know, basically. So I'm out there I'm at, the, I'm at the freaking tight end spot. Rod Marinelli's right there. He's a defensive line coach. And, you know, and you know, Tyoka doesn't want to practice. I mean, he he absolutely doesn't want to doesn't want to be there, doesn't want to practice, doesn't want to hear Rod Marinelli talk, the whole deal. And so we're going through the, this play. I've got Allstott behind me and work done behind me. And we're running a lead off, you know, a lead, and I have to get the edge off Tyoka. So I go, you know, I just kind of slow, you know, I just kind of, I mean, slow, you know, a little bit jog for me, but slow for him. And I, I get the edge. Well, Rod just starts blowing him up, right? And starts talking <laughs> shit on him. So the next, we're doing it again, line back up, do it again. And this time Rod gets, you know, he, he's like, I want you to fire off harder. And, um, and he gets right next to me. And as, as they, they, they snap the ball, he scares the shit out of me. He starts yelling. He's shit out of me. So I get into Tayoka a little bit faster. And that dude just jacks me up, takes me back five yards back, and throws me into freaking all stop. So I get jacked up by him, and then I get hit from behind from all stop. And it, 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 you're absolutely right. I mean, people need to take plays, but there's always that one guy that's freaking. Really uh, well,
4: asshole. I mean, you're yeah, you're giving <laughs> uh, royalty with uh, Monty Kiffin and uh, Rod Marinelli. I mean, two of them. Oh, there's some studs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for uh, you know, I mean, dude, I, I played Yeah, no, I mean, I. I, I, I played against Monty Kiffin's defenses for years. I mean, in the, uh, you know, I mean, the things that they did, I mean, were pretty good. I mean, and, you know, those are some, you know, some of the best. And also Rod Marinelli, who actually coached at Cal as well. I mean, another good one. So, I mean, it's uh, it's pretty – I was telling my wife the other day, I don't know if you saw, but a Sean McDermott is now the head coach for the Dolphins. Yeah. And so, I told her, I was like, you know, uh, the year 2000, uh, Sean McDermott it's was silly, in the right? yeah. He was, he was his handmaid, which meant that he followed Andy around, and he basically got his meals and made sure everything was good, and he basically, you know, read the announcements and was Andy Reid's handmaid, and uh, we used to call him Minnie Reid and fucking talk shit to him all the time, <laughs> and I told him, Mike, if you would have told me that uh, 17 years later and from 2000 to 2017, that that guy would go from Andy Reid's handmaid to being a head coach in the NFL, it's a pretty good return on investment. No but, doubt. You know, and, uh, but the amount of bullshit that you would have to deal with to get to that point. And Sean was always a really cool cat and like a super sharp dude, but like, that's how you cut your deal. I mean, I saw a picture the other day of, uh, um, it was Bill Parcells walking with LT and there was a young Bill Belichick who was walking and like, you could see that LT was fucking with him. (laughs) And like, you know, they showed this picture and I'm like, dude, you got to remember, I mean, uh, like every one of these coaches at some point, as you know, dude, like they were like, they started at the bottom and have built themselves up. I mean people don't realize the amount of grunt work and I had to be a regional scout and fucking watch film and cut this and you know, this stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. seeing like, uh, you know, they got all the different guys that, that were different coaches that I remember through the years, seeing them all of a sudden as head coaches and being like, Jesus, I used to fuck that yep. dude all the time.
3: Mike Tomlin was quality control. But yeah. that year. Yeah.
4: I mean, uh, I remember, uh, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, he's done Monday night football, the Raiders guy. He was, uh, um, yeah, yeah, Gruden. So Gruden, Gruden was a ball boy at like, yeah. like at Tennessee, and uh, all of a sudden he's like the offensive line, offensive coordinator with the Eagles. And I can't remember the uh, uh, one of the older guys that had been there a long time comes in and he sees him and he's like, "Gruden, what the fuck are you doing here?" And he's like, oh "I'm not the offensive coordinator." He's like, "You were my fucking ball boy at Tennessee," and like this <laughs> fucking ride <riding laughs> And he's like, Gruden, all of a sudden like got real nervous and he's like, you know, everybody had to start somewhere type of stuff Yeah, so no like, doubt. Yeah, but that's what they don't realize about the NFL and you know coaching especially it's so like incestuous and like when you look at the staffs and the people and how they all came up it's just like everybody gets a job they hire all their friends and then when they get a job they hire their friends and it's if you can crack into that thing it's there for a long time so it's uh, but I, but-
1: I think along that journey too, though, you, you find yourself, at, you know, being mentored. And I know, Ron, last time we talked on the podcast, you had talked about that was a big thing for you is just mentoring interns and the value of education in that process. Um, so I guess maybe ping pong back and forth between, let's say, what went on with Oregon, understanding coaches' responsibility, and then educating athletes through an athlete's responsibility per se. I mean, as you look back into your, your role as a mentor are these the things that you covered with up and coming coaches and guys who would sleep and you know sleep on your couch or whatever, like the uh, the interns?
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you know uh, there's a big thing going on right now, especially you know I know Tex, you do a lot of travel overseas there, you, know, you all three do, you know, and you know this as well as I do that a lot of the the European countries, Australia, you know in terms of science driving training, they're doing a maybe a much better job than we are. Uh, with science driving training. However, the big thing over there is, is the coaching science, you know, actually learning how to coach people and, and, and being able to take that, that textbook knowledge and, and apply it. And, th- and that's where in the United States, we're so good. You know, we, 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 we've allocated great resources and we've graded and we, and we've really done a good job of being able to learn how to motivate and uh, navigate some of these types of situations. And that's really what it is. I and mean, you got to learn. That's why it's such a uh, an apprenticeship type of role to be a strength coach or a coach in in general is that you have to you have to see all these various scenarios that you're going to be popping up against um, and and seeing how coaches handle them and, and seeing the good and the bad i mean i can I could point to just as many coaches that did the wrong thing you know, and I learned from that as I can the coaches that did the right thing and, and how I learned from that as well and and so I mean so yes, to answer your question, I spent a lot of time talking about. You know, here's the the set rep scheme. That's the easy part. Give me the back of a napkin, and I can write you a workout. That's the easy part. Getting people to buy into it, believe in you, trust you, allow you allow you to lead them. That's where it really takes. That's the that's the art, and and that's ultimately what separates uh, coaches that go on and have a successful career from the ones that are just those great technicians that that know the science, that know what should be done, but just can't get anybody to do it.
4: Do you you think there's a um, kind of a disconnect between, uh, you you know, with players? I always think, too, for me, um, you know, I I was more interested in results. Like if, uh, you know, somebody came in and we put a training program together and I got bigger, faster, stronger, and I saw the results, uh, you know, like it didn't – like I didn't really care as much about the personality point. Like, um, you know, if the guy was a dick but I was able to get better, then that's all that mattered, whereas I watched a lot of guys who, you know, almost fought it because – they weren't kind of handheld a little bit. And I remember uh, talking to my dad about it once and he said, I think it was a quote from general Patton that, you know, that, you know, being a great leader and being a great general is about figuring out how to dif- how to motivate different people because everybody has different motivations. He's yep. like yours is results. He goes, some people, you know, might need, you know, uh, to be hugged or, you know, told they were good or this. And he's like, you know, it's just like raising kids, you know, some kids you, you know, coddle some you kick. And uh, I-, I-, I think as a strength coach, um, you know being able to you know have almost uh, different styles of motivation for everybody I guess you just can't always be the hammer and um, right you know and I think like that idea especially at a division one program where you know you have all these kids and it's such a high turnover and you're depending on these kids to play and do do a good job that you know how do you necessarily balance that like I, I like that to me is 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 the one thing I think I would fail at in that um, uh, you know we how gotta- How do you navigate that?
3: Yeah, I mean, you got to have you got to have a great staff. I mean, that's the bottom line, you know. And and um, I think you know one thing I talk about, and I've talked about this a lot. So you know, bear with me if you've heard this, but you know, when I hire staff, there's a you know, there's the Myers Briggs personality test. There's all these different personality tests, and one that I give is is from Gary Smiley. He was a psychologist, and 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 basically it it puts you into four categories. You're a lion, you're an otter, you're a beaver your retriever
4: you know i thought we were um, getting like the i like the intps and all that i was gonna ask yeah, you what your Myers briggs was
3: no well i'm definitely an <laughs> introvert but but uh <laughs> but do. what's great about that is this this test is simplistic it's quick it's easy but i'm telling you uh, no other tool has given me a better uh representation of who i'm hiring uh than this than this personality test and so early on in my career, I'm a lion. I'm a guy that's, that's out in front. I like pounding my chest. I'm going to freaking, I'm going to run a million miles an hour, but I'm not going to be the best with the details, you know, and every one of these have strengths and weaknesses. You know, the, the the beaver completely detail oriented has multiple to do lists, can put everything right where it needs to be, but they're not going to be the person that's out front pounding their chest. You know, then you got the otter, who's the guy that creates the energy. That's gonna dance with the players. It's gonna always have a smile on their face. It's gonna be singing. You know, could have ran over a freaking cat on the way in, and it's gonna, you know, not, that doesn't affect him. You know, and then you got the the retriever. That's just the most loyal guy. It's that's Sean McDermott. When when the head coach leaves, nothing changes. You know, and I'm gonna, you know, I'll, basically you're you're worried about him telling the boss if if something goes different, wrong. You know and and when I early in my career I thought I had to have a bunch of lions because I'm a lion, and I thought I was a good coach, you know so I hired a bunch of lions, but that doesn't work for the dynamics of the staff you know I needed to have that otter, I needed to have that beaver I needed to have that that retriever because different guys have different motivations, like you said, and you know that guy that likes to dance and have fun in the weight room well that's that's not the way that I train you know, but I need to be able to i don't at the end of the day I don't care if he dances and and you know, sings every freaking song that comes on as long as he does the work, you know. So let me put an honor with him that's going to, you know, that's going to enjoy that and then enjoy it and they're going to enjoy him. And I think as a coach, as a good coach, you got to know what your strengths and weaknesses are. You got to surround yourself with people that role models, great role models, each of those, those different types of personality types that people can go to that feel comfortable going to them. And, uh, and then trust that process, you know, trust that you've, you've invested in them. They're going to say the right things. But when you're a leader, you know, when you're a leader, when you're a young strength coach, you have to be all those things because I mean, you're not going to get hired unless you can play those roles. But when you become a leader, you, you need to be what you're comfortable being and then hire what you're not.
4: Oh, that's, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I think, uh, oh, yeah,
2: sorry. Next, um, you're up. Yeah, so just kind of uh, checking through uh, the, the place Summit website and the schedule you have going on here and then checking back to your your goal of education. And uh, this is definitely one of those messages that um, I've heard you speak about at, at SummerStrong and the CSCCA. I think it's kind of cool that now you're not coaching for a team per se, but now you have that opportunity to coach coaches. And a bit, instead of only speaking at – one, two, three, four clinics. Now you have the freedom to then speak at the eight, speak at the ten, and however many you're going to grow each year. So it's kind of kind of cool that uh, you get to continue to spread these messages. So I see here uh, different types of clinics. So I'd like to kind of highlight. I guess you have one two day clinic here, uh, March seventeenth eighteenth at Play HQ, and then Speed Mastermind Professional Development and several different opportunities for people to learn from. So talk to us, I guess, about each one of those and what value they have.
3: Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I mean, basically what we have is we have your your typical strength coach, topic-oriented, variety of topics, variety of speakers. We're putting our own twist on it, but we have six summits, uh, three in the U.S. and three internationally. Again, globally is very important to me. And so in the, in the U.S., we have one at the Under Armour headquarters uh, on the 25th of March. We have one on the, at our headquarters, the 17th and 18th of March. And then we have uh, the 4th of March. We have uh, in Indianapolis outside of Indianapolis at Noblesville High School um, that's going on during the same time as the Combine. You know, and, and again, th- those are all variety of topics, variety of speakers, bringing in some of the best at each discipline. And, you know, we're keeping things basically current topics and just making a great resource for coaches to come network and learn. You know, um, internationally, we're doing Toronto uh, on the 22nd of April. April. We're doing um, the uh, Belfast, Ireland on the 17th of June. And we're doing Australia, uh, Sydney on February 11th um, of this year. And uh, same thing there. Then what I wanted to do, and this is where I felt a lot of people missed the boat with these conferences, because as a head strength coach, I would go to those, you know, uh, or as an experienced strength coach, maybe I should say, I would go to those conferences if they were convenient for me, and I would, I would totally pick up some information. But the real questions that I was having as, a, as, you know, as somebody that was designing programs was I wanted to deep dive on something that I felt like I was weak on. You know, and so we created these events, these mastermind events um, where we're doing um, speed and multi-directional training out in Denver on the 8th of April. Um, And we got Dan Path, we have Derek Hansen and Brett Bartholomew and Lauren Lando um, and Jimmy Radcliffe from Oregon, you know, coming out. And these are some of the best multi-directional speed guys. But You know, Dan Path, who trains sprinters to run in a straight line, is one of the best when it comes to linear speed development. I want to be able to have a conversation with him about how I can make my athletes faster in a straight line but realize that they also have to cut right and left. You know, and so, all right, Dan, you you don't have a track athlete anymore. You have a freaking running back. How are you training that guy? You know, and so what we did is basically, you know, they're going to present, Dan's going to present on linear speed development, and then everybody's going to write a 12-week a linear speed development program for their situation, and have that inter- that opportunity to have interaction with the other people in the room and with the with the speaker. And uh, and so we created two of those. We created a speed multidirectional one, and then we created a uh, professional development one. for a lot of the things that we were talking about earlier, uh, that Luke was talking about, where you know some of this coaching science, these young strength coaches that are just getting in the field. What's what's what is a good interview skill set? You know, what should you know going into an interview? What should you have prepared? You know, and so we're going to talk about interview skills. We're going to lecture on it. And then you're going to turn around and do a speed dating. And you're going to go around to experienced strength coaches and get shot freaking tempered with questions, you know, um, and to see how you handle yourself. You know, we're going to talk about resumes. You're going to go write your resume. Um, And so, you know, it's these workshop type oriented uh, events. And so, again, going back to what you were saying, I mean, I don't don't know if it's true, 100% true, but I believe it in my heart is that You know, there's that quote that says a coach, you know, affects more people in one day than most people do in their entire life. You know, if I can, if I can coach coaches, um, I don't know if there's
4: a more noble thing to be doing.
1: Yeah, it's a trickle down effect, right?
4: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of what we do. I mean, our, our whole deal is to save people from themselves. I mean, I yeah. think if uh, left up to their own devices, people will make terrible decisions, especially in strength conditioning and performance-based and, I mean, even the basic conversation of how do you get strong, which yep. seems fairly intuitive, but is anything but. I mean, when you start talking about linear speed and, uh, you know, people see one-to-one, they think, oh, man, uh, you know, this guy runs so fast. And so you're like, you know, let is, and, and this is a question we ask at a, um, you know, time we go out and we teach is, is uh, can you gauge athleticism off of vertical speed? You know, if you watch somebody run in a straight line, are they athlete? You know, is Usain Bolt an incredible athlete? Is he, you know, is he athletic? And people are like, of course, he's fast. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa take this back. Like, it, what is it about athleticism and, and people? How do they move? And you start talking about, you know. Take a swimmer out of and, the pool see what happens, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, and it's like, pool. You know, and, and these are conversations that people, when you have it with them, all of a sudden light bulbs go on, and they start thinking in, you know, in better directions. And, uh, you know, for so long, and, and you, you know this, I mean, the speed development for college and also for the NFL was based off of linear speed. You know, the idea that, you know, you go out and you do all your track stuff, you do your A skips, B skips, C skips, and you do all your high knees and you do all this kind of, you know, vertical type uh, linear running. And then at some point you, you know, have to, you know, progress into something where it's a change direction, but it's usually something with like a five ten five. 10, right. 5. very rarely is it like 5s and changes and flips and, you know, that's all that sport specific. And I think what's been really neat, at least, at least in the last couple of years is that people are really looking at change of direction and uh, multi-directional speed development as its own uh you know block of training um you know and i think about our stuff you know from college even uh, you know verstegen working the nfl stuff is uh you know so linear and it was like well what about the change of direction it's like well you get that you know playing or your sport specific training and i'm like dude for no. me like foot position and going that stuff i mean is uh, you know Barry Sanders wasn't the best running back because he was fast in a straight line. Barry Sanders was the best running back because he could literally change direction and do you know hundred you know ninety degree changes on a split deal. Right. And um, it's uh, it it's interesting when they start you know trying to take things from like an Olympi- uh like an Olympic or you know high level sprint kind of linear speed and you start putting it with football players and um, uh, you know I'm sure it'll be an incredible conversation. I definitely would like to be a you know with we had the time to be able to listen to that one and really hear them dispel some myths and really hear those coaches kind of argue a little bit. I mean, cause you know, anytime you put people like that in one room, you're going to have five people with five very strong personalities and five different ways of doing things that think right. that they're carry over to the other. So it sounds interesting. It sounds amazing.
3: Yeah. That'd be a lot of fun. And, and that's just it. And the, the funny thing is this, is that, you know, you know, this is as what well as I do we've had this conversation off camera as well is that when you are an expert or when you do have a high level of knowledge in, in, in you know in this in this area, you also realize that you're just you're just now starting to get to the point where you're asking the right questions and you're actually at a point where you can really learn. You know, and, and so getting into a room with those guys, even though they are some strong personalities and they do have conviction of what they're doing, they're also some of the most open-minded guys there are in terms of trying to challenge their ideals to strengthen what they believe. You know, and it's that to me uh, going to be the, the most exciting thing about it.
4: No, it's, uh, that, um, uh, that's incredible because then you, you know, you basically get to be with other people that are you know big thinkers and hopefully you get to take something, which is actually the opposite of most of the powerlifting and Olympic lifting coaches I've been around where, uh, you know, they know everything and nobody has anything to contribute. So <laughs> like when people always ask me, they're like, Oh, what do you think about so-and-so and this? And I'm like, dude, I'm, you know i mean i think there's more than one way to do it but unfortunately a lot of people you know disagree on that i always go back to my early training days with the old man in the garage uh, george angus where there was george's way and no other way ever made any sense and i remember telling him one time being like you don't think there's other ways to do this and he's like no this is the only way to do it and unfortunately there's you know so many different ways and there's so many different approaches that people have that not only you know strength element but speed and power and certain people you know Like, uh, you know, the big thing we've been working on now is with velocity-based training. And, you know, you can go back and read Fred Fred Hatfield, you know, with uh, compensatory acceleration. Fred talking about, you know, the ability to to move from point A to point B with a heavy barbell, you know. Right. You know, should be able to do this. So it's almost as if everything comes in cycles and things start kind of, you know, this is sexy again. And, you know, the fact that, you know, most of the questions we get are about velocity-based training now. I'm like, dude, this is this is the point that we're at where people are looking at it and thinking like, how do I, how do I develop speed and power in the weight room? Which is you know, always been really, you know, kind of my pet for what I, everything I walked into. It just wasn't about being strong, but could you display that in such a way? So.
2: Right. I yeah. Think it's but, kind of- yeah. Ron, you, you hit it on the head, the, the point at which you could really learn. Um, so just as, as a, a younger generation strength coach, I had to get to that point in which I could really learn and, I mean, this, this is sooner rather than later, almost to the point at, at SummerStrong uh, meeting you and talking to a lot of the guys there, and then, like, our string of podcasts where we had, like, Kia Basso and all, all these great guys come in. it was finding connections to principle-based training and then really diving into what specifically you're training for. And when, right. when John speaks of velocity-based training, uh, speaking and uh, meeting Brian, Brian Mann at NSCA that's a guy I'm definitely gonna get uh, to, to learn a lot from but at the same point I had to get to a base level in which now I'm really ready to learn so Agreed. I think a, a lot of coaches right they they jump on the the sexy stuff or they jump on many of different trains at the point and they're neglecting the principles they're ne- ne- neglecting like that base level in which you learn your first two years just holding the clipboard
4: right right um, and this well, I mean this, but, uh, but uh, but Tex, isn't that like just everything? I mean, we, we deal with that with strength training all the time. I mean, I get uh, people ask me, you know, I, I got a question in the day about, um, you know, a, a deadlift setup, And the guy was like, you know, well, you know, what do you think about this and this? And I was like, great, you know, no problem. Uh, what's your deadlift? And the guy's like, well, I deadlift 300 pounds. It's like, well, um, when you, you know, like uh, be strong enough to have this type of conversation. I mean, there's you know, fifteen year old girls in Texas that are you know, uh, you know, state powerlifting champions that deadlift way over three hundred pounds, and you are a twenty eight year year old adult male that's been training and only deadlift three hundred pounds. Uh, do you think it's the setup? Does it really fucking matter? I mean, are you getting lost in the minutia? And I think like right. that was a. Uh, uh, an interesting thing, like, you know, are you strong enough to have a conversation about these kind of minutia? But I mean, even with the strength stuff or even, you know, with strength coaching, people want to have these velocity based training. And I'm like, great. Uh, can you move fast? Do you have good enough technique to be able right. to, to, like, have you rehearsed your technique in a barbell back squat to the point where that every rep, is picture perfect the same so that you can actually look and say, okay, I was faster on that one. What did I do? Was it a, loss lost in technique? You know, what's the deviation? Why am I not moving as fast? So now we're we talking about is the barbell too heavy? Well, maybe, but if your technique's not on, so it's like, I always wonder, um, and that's such a great point about, being strong enough for having a knowledge base to be able to have an intelligent conversation have gone through the trials and tribulations and tried all the different things like to be able to actually say, Hey, this works and what doesn't, which isn't what people do these days. People are either like instantly in one camp and this is right. And this is wrong without ever, ever using anything else.
3: Yeah. That's the thing that I, that's probably one of the, uh, going back to what we were talking about earlier with the interns. One of the biggest things that I stress to them is be, be your own Guinea pig, you know, try everything. You know, and until you really understand it, you can't have a conversation about it. You don't really, you know, you don't really know and under, uh, understand it. And uh, you shouldn't negate it, you know, because ultimately you never know, because so much of what we do is situational, uh, that it's, it's a tool for the toolbox. You don't, you never know when you're going to be able to go in and pull that tool out and be able to handle or address a, a specific situation. And you better have a pretty good understanding of it if for no other reason to be able to defend what you're doing versus what you think that you shouldn't be doing, you know? And I think that so much, um, you know, that's the problem I think with academia in general is that you come out and it's like, you know, you got a bunch of people that never lifted a weight in their life telling you how to lift weights and, and you, here's the, all the book knowledge to say, this is why the way it should be done. Now go do it. And you're a professional, you're, you're credentialed, you know, and it's like that you're just starting the process. You know, you're just starting that process, and now shut your mouth, open your ears, freaking just do for lots of years, and then ask a million questions. And, and then you'll end up getting to a point where you might actually have an original thought.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh,
2: yeah, that, that base level of strength that we talk about developing, I guess, with the, the novice athlete to the point where we can really have some fun in training, not just skipping to the fun stuff selfishly as a coach I think one of, one of our big missions this year for 2017 as power athlete is to really steer people towards a base level of knowledge right which they can start to begin and wrap their head around the complexity that is the science of strength and conditioning. It's a mix of, of the science as well as then managing the athlete from like the, the mental side of things and, and motivating the proper motivation.
4: Um, Ron, you, you made a good point earlier about um, you know wanting to have a big impact globally. Um, is it something that you've seen? Um, you know, because I know we've run into this when we've taught a lot of global seminars. The guys that are you know what I would consider or, or really tout themselves as strength and conditioning coaches are more on the science side. Um, very few of them really are guys that were you know, hey, I, I was big into the barbell stuff. I was big into training. This is what I've done. They've kind of branched in. I mean, we've had over the years these guys show up to our seminars with these credentials, and I'm looking at this dude being like, "Have this dude." you know, like, what was your background? Do you even lift weights? Right. So it was like this, uh, you know, there was almost this, um, and I had one guy be like, Oh, you know, this is, uh, you know, based in the lab and you know, we're sports scientists. And I'm like, dude, uh, I don't know how it is in in your country, but in our country, as a strength coach, if you came into some of the environments that I played in, you would, regardless of how knowledgeable you think you might be or anything that you might have, you will get zero buy-in. And right. he's like, well, you know, and the guy kind of was like, well, it's not like, like this, this country in America is very different. And I remember thinking like, at some point, if you're going to train athletes, you have to look like you do this stuff or at least have bought in. I mean, it's kind of like the doctor thing. You go in and right. out of shape and he's talking to you about getting in shape as he's smoking a cigarette and, you know, <laughs> walking, walking. and I, uh, you know, and I know that's pretty important as, um, you know, Kaz, uh, who was our you know, assistant at, uh, uh KC, who's now at, you know, uh, at, uh, Baylor. Right. This was on his, all of his dudes, you know, they all got to train. They all got to be in shape. I mean, you know, I'll throw them into, you know, any workout at any point and they better be able to hang. And if they can't, they don't have a job here. Right. And, right. Um, you know. Well, I think, you know, obviously you don't,
3: you don't want to make it a vanity project and that that's not the only way that, you know, because there's plenty of people that look the part that don't know how to coach either. But at the same time, I think, um, you know, one of the things that I also would tell those interns is that if you didn't compete, I, I don't think to, to be a great strength coach, um, at, you know, the, you have to have, you have, you have had to have played the sport that you're working with. You can be a good strength coach at any, you know, like I, if I'm a I'm a, I'm a great football strength coach, but I would be a good basketball strength coach because I never played the sport. You know, I don't really understand all the ins and outs. I don't know all what goes into prep, preparing for that. I don't know what it means to be on the line, having to sink a freaking free throw to win the game. I don't understand that. But likewise, you don't understand what it's like to play in front of 100,000 people and, you know, play a team sport and freaking run into a freaking car accident 20 times. You know, you don't, you don't, you don't get that. You know, and so um, I think these 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 strength coaches that have not competed um, I, I think if you want to be great, go compete first and then, you know, then focus your attention on the sport that you competed in. Um, now that said, I think there's plenty of people that can learn and, 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 and contribute, but I think that's the difference. And, and so I don't know if you necessarily have to be freaking the Greek God, because I mean, at bottom, bottom line, at 60 years old, I'm not going to look like a Greek God
4: you know no that's bullshit uh,
3: but at the you same what, time
4: there'll be a magic pill by then i <laughs> uh, i firmly believe exactly. that some, some dude in the lab right now is like going to develop some pill that you take that just I like, hope that's know. me because i'm being instantly you're yeah, instantly you're shredded and you never had to do anything you're like i don't I know, know. I just take this pill every morning and i just <laughs> shred it.
3: but we got to we, we i think you know if you are a strength coach you are listening to this and if you've never competed if you've just lifted weights before you're not that's not good enough it's not good enough you need to you need to compete you need to fully understand what it means to uh if you're going to train athletes if you're going to train people for for bodybuilding or, or things like that or you know or i think then you have an opportunity and i i think if you're a young coach and you didn't play college ball or you didn't do whatever i think go go compete in a, in a, in a lifting competition go compete in an olympic lifting competition go at crossfit or uh, Spartan races or, you know, find something that you're, you're setting a goal, you're working towards it. And, and then you have to put yourself out there and on the line.
4: Yeah. I mean the potential for failure and, and, uh, you know, you always think like, at least for me, I mean, some of my best learning experiences came out of failure and, no and actually a, a fear of failure. So if you've never put yourself in a situation of failure, then, you know, how can you really empathize and really you know, kind of connect with those athletes? So it's a good point. Right. So.
1: Well, I mean, Tex, we're at like two hours, and I dude, think it like five minutes. Harry's got a class showing up or something here.
4: Yeah, people are showing up with me. And you, eyes, know,
1: eyes, I, I, you know, forgive me, Power Athlete wow, Nation. I, I've it's, sent. We forgot to mention that this is the premier podcast in strength and conditioning.
4: No, Kelly it's just implied at this point. Oh, is it implied? <laughs> there you go. Well, it's we're only the premier podcast in strength and conditioning because we have the premier guests.
1: Fair enough. Yes. Guys like Ron. And, you know, appreciate I guess to, to kind of wrap this up, you know, and continue on dog pile on what Tex was saying, that's our mission for 2017 is to empower athletes to give, or uh, coaches to give them platform through our Power Athlete Academy project. And I think you and Tex have been talking about that, but it, it's, it's our that's way. Awesome, by the way. Yeah. You know, I appreciate it. It's, a, it's like, our way to try and accelerate, just get, accelerate the development of that base level of knowledge. Right. And, so,
2: and really to, to work with, like the, the business owner coach who you, you can't afford to go basically sleep on Raf's couch for three months or go do football internships unpaid for two freaking years. Just for well, the yeah, opportunity,
4: Ron and uh, Ron and Ruiz are buddies. I know yeah. that's yeah. why I dropped <laughs> the name. <laughs> but <laughs> when, uh, when it, when I, him was,
3: the, I told him, "Tex, he's the freaking Yoda strength and conditioning right? He is.
4: He Yoda-like. is a Yoda strength and conditioning. You don't know if he's fifty or if he's twenty. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know. But the uh, the I, when we were talking about about an hour ago when we were Rafa when we were talking about you know you know, coaches being able to balance the science in this. And I'm like, nobody was better at, uh, realizing when somebody needed to be kicked in the balls in Ruiz. And, uh, uh yeah, I mean, I, uh, yeah, the Ruiz is uh, truly a master of, uh, knowing when to push and when to pull on people. So it's, um, and anybody gets a chance to run into raw field. Know what I mean? You guys Just stay left- away from the water. That's, that's all I recommend. Tex, uh, you're not a water-based person, but I think Ruiz looked at you and thought, you know what, I'm going to drown this motherfucker. <laughs>
3: <laughs> or hit him with a Filipino fighting
4: stick. Oh, uh, yeah. That's happened. That has happened. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh,
4: I love that silly bastard. Uh,
2: but I, I do want to highlight uh, just the Ron's new pass the mic. So he had one of my old mentors, Donnie Mabe on there. And um, so Ron, you, you got a new Facebook page just for to focus on coaches and then ask this mic so, or pass the mic. So, Kind of tell us about that and really where, where to direct our audience?
3: Yeah, no, I appreciate that, man. Well, I got a lot of things going I mean, Iron Green Chalk Talk's going into its fifth year where I interview strength coaches from all over the world. Um, and, you know, I needed to find some other channels or avenues to, to do some things. Um, you know, one, I, I started to ask Coach Mac just so I can, I can try to alleviate some of the questions that I get. I get dozens of questions every day. Uh, and this is just an easy way for me to get online and, and answer them real quick pass the mic is a way for me to get repeat guests from iron game talk talk on for you to, to ask them questions. And so if you, if you've not followed the show, I'd, I'd encourage you to check it out on iTunes. Um, I do the ask coach Mac and the pass the mics live on Facebook live and, um, reached my max on my profile page or whatever. So I had to create a fan page, which I, I did not want to necessarily do, but I guess it's part of the game. And, um, and so yeah, just at uh, R McKeefry is where I'm at on, on all social media. Uh, check that out and, and uh, appreciate, it, man.
1: Well, Ron, hey, thanks for taking the time to join us on the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. In case you didn't know, awesome. Oh. But uh, Tex, we got anything else we wanted to cover? I mean, we we got Ron, we got to cross paths and check out check out the uh, what you got going over on Play, Play HQ. We got to find our way out there, John.
4: Uh, Absolutely. Are
1: you, um, are, are you coming to summer strong? Are you
3: gonna yeah, start? I'll be down. I'll be down there of course. And, and hopefully we can, we can connect before that.
4: Yeah, no, we, we were out there. And so, um, uh, yeah, we're definitely going to pack and up and we're all going I, and- I think you sold me on the, the speed mastermind clinic.
0: Yeah, it's, it's going to be a sweet one.
2: Nothing, nothing. I enjoy more, uh, more than learning from people that, you know, that the best in the biz. So I may, <sighs> John, you, you interested in <laughs> going up to Colorado in April?
4: The text. Well, what you need is a shirt, right? And I'm, and I'm, just telling you, just show up with a shirt. Hashtag dorsiflexion. To oh, just, wow. I'll so make a, a lot friend. of friends. Just and it's a crop, front, front, yeah, <laughs> sleeveless, sleeveless crop top. Just hashtag dorsiflexion. And, like, and, it, and, and it, like, they're just a
1: spandex and like some really <laughs>
4: expensive cleats.
1: Uh,
4: right,
3: that, like, would, that would that it too far. <laughs>
4: All right, cool. All right, guys. So let, let's wrap it up,
1: Ron. Again, thanks again, right. guys. Check out Ron. Check out everything he's got going on. And if uh, you don't know now, you know Ron's the man. Like, awesome. uh, Coach, thanks a man. Coach. Thanks a bunch, man. All thanks, right, all all right, right,
3: thanks so much, guys. Freaking always a lot of fun. Thanks a lot. Thank see you. you. Uh, Bye. You Bye.
0: Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Find Coach McEfree on his website, www.ronmckefree.com, and take full advantage of the resources provided. His podcast, Iron Game Chalk Talk, is no premier podcast in strength conditioning, but it is quickly becoming one of the most popular in the field. You can check that out on his website as well. And don't forget, Power Athlete Nation, school is now in session. Head to powerathletehq.com backslash academy to get signed up for the Power Athlete Academy. Investing in your education is the responsibility of every coach, period. So you can either sit back and try and sort through the internet pseudoscience, or you can break a mental sweat with this no bullshit resource. It's not a sales pitch. It's just some friendly encouragement to suck less every day. Until next time. Bye.